On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, certified financial planner, certified investment management analyst, and co-founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, good to be back with you, my man. Eric, uh, it's good to talk to you again today. We've got another fantastic guest, and this is a return guest. We, we first spoke with Todd Bensman about six, seven months ago about what's going on down at the border. And if there's a person that knows a lot about what's happening down there, it's definitely Todd. He spent about 20 years as an investigative journalist with a focus on the Texas border. In 2009, he then transitioned over to the Texas Department of Public Safety's Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division, where he basically looked at intelligence, managed teams, uh, worked with federal homeland security, monitoring terrorist terrorist threats, and everything that was basically coming across our southern border. He's written a few books. Um, Most recently is this book. Uh, It's called Overrun, which was was, uh, released, I think, about three months ago now, right? Uh, Yeah, late February. And, And I really suggest that anyone that's concerned or curious about what's happening in the border and really wants to cut through what most of the media narrative is, please pick up this book because, you you know, it's, it's deep, it's very dense, but you, it reads almost like an adventure book with a lot of unfortunate consequences. But I mean, you basically start and start this book talking to to human smugglers down on the Texas border and it goes from there. And he, and for me, I think the most powerful thing was you're dispelling a lot of the myths, at least that we're that we're getting, particularly from the administration, that this massive migrant surge that we have is caused by natural disasters and hurricanes, and these people are seeking political asylum. This is carrot and stick stuff, and and you lay this out in terms of how quickly certain policies, both under the Obama administration, under the Trump administration, were able to sort of reverse, not sort of, to definitely reverse this tide, and what we're doing now. I mean. Uh, I don't even know where to start because honestly, reading this book to me was absolutely infuriating. So <laughs> I hope that's a good introduction. But tell me what's going on now. I know we've, you've got a lot of big developments at the border, and, and what can you share with me about what's what's new? Well, again, you know, most of the messaging coming out of Washington is designed to confuse and misdirect you. Uh, so everything that you're hearing right now is untrue. It's just patently, objectively untrue, uh, which is to say that a new uh, strategy rolled out on May 12th is having the desired effect of bringing the border under control, of reducing the number of illegal crossings by uh, the president himself said 70%, uh, that everything's well, don't worry about it, we got this. That is not the case at all. Uh, what they did, though, is they sort of um, like you remember the old uh, shell game where you have the three cups and there's like a pebble under one of them. And you're you have to like kind of pick the one that's got the pebble under it. That's what's going on here. Um, there's a pebble there. They are lifting the cup and saying, look, there's nothing there. And don't worry about these other cups here. There's no pebble. <laughs> um, yep. What they what they did is um, there, we had very large numbers of immigrants who were crossing between the ports of entry, think just brush, 
going through the brush, usually turning themselves in. We had a lot of runners for two and a half years. And in order to get control, quote unquote, of that, the administration created a new system where they would provide entry permits to tens of thousands of immigrants a month while they're still in Mexico so that they could cross over a bridge or a, a, through a port of entry, not between the brush, which means that they can count them in a different category, uh, not the bad category, but a better category. The bad category that they were counting in was illegal apprehensions. The good category is, we don't know, they're not, they're not telling us how many, <laughs> they're just moving them through through the through the ports of entry where you you can't fly a drone over it and see it uh you can't differentiate the people coming off the bridges from anybody else coming off the bridges uh unless you know what to look for and literally tens of thousands of foreign nationals are being brought in that way now uh and so when the president says it's down 70 percent first of all that's not accurate but the illegals are down, but the numbers of people are just the same as ever. <laughs> they're just down here, but they're up over here. And so that's what I mean by the shell game that's going on. That's probably where the greatest number of immigrants are now and how they're crossing in. Uh, there's still just as much entering all of our cities, uh, creating this burden, uh, where are we going to put them? I mean, it's just as though they came in illegally. They didn't come in illegally, but the government is moving them in illegally now. Uh, this way that they're doing this is not authorized by Congress. It's a massive new admittance system, and admittance systems have to be approved by Congress. So that's probably the biggest change at the border since um in the in the crisis since i wrote about it in the book the other, followed, sorry yeah. well yeah. The, the other thing that's happening is <clears throat> under the new strategy they that they were that the idea is to punish immigrants that cross between the ports of entry through the brush in various ways uh to make it hurt so that they go back into Mexico and use these permits uh, to keep to keep that reduced. But what's happening instead is that they're not using any of those punishments or any of those consequences at all. So the numbers of people that are coming back, crossing in illegally and turning themselves in is on the way back up to where it was. People are blowing off the permit system in larger and larger numbers by the day because they realize that they're getting in quicker if they just cross illegally the administration is still letting them in and not applying any of the uh, consequences and so it's just a matter of time uh, before even the illegal encounters go kind of back up uh, so and then the last way that they're getting through not to take up all your time with this but uh, they're they're running the ones that won't qualify for the permits uh, and the ones that don't want to get caught because they'll, they will be prosecuted or pushed back because they have criminal history or running. And the number of runners is way up. The Goddard, Goddard is way, way up. 
So there are three different channels right now that they're pouring through in just the same numbers as before, but you just can't see it. And you mentioned in terms of the numbers, I think one of the great points that you lay out in your book is, you know, my great grandparents came through Ellis Island and I know you are also from, from, from an immigrant family. And so it's, it's, you know, you look at these issues and all of us, essentially, with the exception of a few of us here in the United States, obviously came here from somewhere else. But the order of magnitude, I think, in the way it's being done is, is, is the main point. I mean, Ellis Island, you say in your book, is a 60-year process that brought in 12 million people. We're now, we're at, no one knows, we're four or five million people over, the, over just a couple of years. I mean, these are, these are just incredibly massive numbers. We've never yeah. seen anything like this. Is that accurate? That is ab- absolutely accurate. For, for most of, of m- the modern era, since we started keeping track of border crossings in 1960, uh, we probably, I'd say like maybe over the last, let's say the last 10 or 15 years, we typically would have maybe 300 or 400,000 a year apprehended at the border. That doesn't mean they were let in. That's just how many were apprehended. Sounds like a lot but not by comparison to today. We might have, you know, a thousand or less a day in, in for most of the last 10 years. Uh, and now we're at like, uh, you know, we've been having 7,000 and 8,000 a day, even as high as 10,000 a day. The numbers are absolutely astonishing. They blow through every single national record that we have kept on the books since 1960. And really, even since 1903, when we were keeping other certain kinds of records as well, there is no uh, record left unsmashed by this one in the last two and a half years. And I don't mean just the number of people coming over, but other policies that were put in place to arrest criminals, criminal aliens, uh, the lowest number of criminal aliens ever uh, swept up and deported the lowest number of deportations of any kind, uh, the highest number of murderers and rapists and child molesters allowed to stay. Um, the, the, I mean, every, every kind of number that most reasonable people would consider to not be a good thing for the country is just uh, broken as a record uh, under this, just in the last two and a half years, And uh, I go through it at length in the book, in chapter one, Welcome to the New Page in History. Uh, And I go through, you know, and name all of the records that are broken. I mean, the highest number, the highest percentage ever of people from all around the world who are not Mexican or Central American, 40% plus reaching that border, the entire world is on their way here because the door is open. Um, the highest number ever of uh, terrorists uh, who, who are on the FBI terrorist watch list being apprehended at this border. Uh, we, we're at about uh, 200 now in the last two years. Uh, like about 100 of those a year. There shouldn't be like really more than a few of those in any given year. Uh, we've got 200 of those. The highest number of gotaways, <clears throat> people that have gotten through into the interior, 1.7 million, 60, 70, 80,000 a month uh, just got 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 through, not apprehended at all. We don't know who they are. I mean, you name it. 
this is the greatest border crisis, mass migration crisis in American history, without a doubt. You mentioned in your book that, um, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but it was a senior Obama administration official that back in 2014, I believe that was the year that you said, mentioned that a thousand encounters a day was was a but that was a that was an emergency, that was a crisis, and now you're talking seven eight thousand that we made perhaps more. What's going on? Because everybody kind of thought with the current administration that you would get Barack Obama part two. And you did have some some clamp down on what was occurring on the southern border under the Obama administration, as you did under the Trump administration. What's what's going on here? What's changing now? Well, um, cadres of uh, advisors, political appointees, political advisors uh, that were brought into the White House by the Biden administration have an ideology uh, that holds that the, the INA are, are, are U.S. immigration laws for the border it should be treated like the federal marijuana law, just ignored. Uh, they believe it's cruel and inhumane. Uh, it calls for detention and deportation like any other country. Uh, but they, they regard this as sort of retro and uh, obsolete and uh, cruel and inhumane and so they have systematically dismantled it from the very first day so that we no longer deport, we no longer detain, uh, we, we uh, do everything possible to allow the greatest number of people into the country who arrive at the southern border as we are possibly able to manage with current infrastructure. And this is something that has just never been done before in U.S. history. Nobody does this. Not even regular Democrats of recent past have ever taken a position that our policy is safe, orderly, and humane entry. That That is their official doctrine, safe, orderly, humane, and legal pathways into the country from the border, as opposed to stop, block, deter, detain, deport, which is what the law requires these were laws that were passed by congress so if you don't like them change them fine but nobody's changing them they're just simply decoupling policy from law it started on the very first day uh, they had their ideas they knew exactly what they were going to do title 42 was in place uh, on inauguration day uh, that's the instant pushback for the pandemic 100% of anybody who crosses the border has to be returned to Mexico. That's how Trump did it, to the tune of about 90%, actually. And on the very first day, what caused this was the Biden administration decided to tear open a huge exemption for families. Uh, and so just millions of families poured in through this exemption in Title 42 and they also exempted unaccompanied minors. Uh, so 350, 400,000 of those have poured through and pregnant women and a whole host of different nationalities that nobody knows why they picked those nationalities, but everybody from those nationalities got in. And so that's why you had millions and millions of people still come in, even though we had this pretty draconian uh, Title 42 measure in place. They just decided not to use it 
like Trump was using it. And that's why we have what we have now. Title 42 is gone. And this new thing is in place that's supposed to be uh, filled with punishments and blandishments. And, um, you know, we're going to bring you in legally, legal pathways, which are actually not legal. Uh, and they're not even abiding by their own punishments that they promised. And so anybody who crosses pretty much still gets in. Uh, and the immigrants on the other side are figuring it out uh, little by little. You, yeah, that's a great point, because the one thing that that um, you immediately take away when you start on this book is most people in this country, and I would you know, get, throw myself in that in that category as well, really don't have any idea the procedural or legal issues that are either being applied or not applied. These people crossing the border, they they know better than all of us what these loopholes are and how to how to exploit them. H how is it that we are so, I guess, uneducated in terms of citizens of this country for what's going on, where really the, the rest of the world knows exactly what's going on and they're acting with it not only on their feet, but it's expensive. I mean, I I have I have a ton of empathy for people that want to come here to have a better life. There's absolutely no question about that, and that's one of the issues that I have with this is because. You are the amount of abuse and rape and you know, child trafficking, the drug, the fentanyl, the, the, everything that comes along with an open border. You, you, this is not humanitarian. This is absolutely barbaric to allow people to walk into situations, to knowingly let them walk into situations where they're going to be taken advantage of. But they're willing to take that risk because they know that the door is wide open and they're willing to spend a lot of money to do it. And so you're, you're then, you, again, make the point in the book, you're funding the cartels to the, to the tune of billions of dollars, which is going to continue to destabilize a lot of these countries in South and in, in Central America, which apparently is, have been one of the stated goals, at least, to try to handle, I guess, the root causes. But you know, why do you think we are so misinformed about this in our own country when the rest of the world knows exactly what's happening? It is the it is a huge disconnect for sure. I mean, for one thing, you know, immigrants. Uh, it is it, it, understanding our policies uh, runs to the very core of their self interest, right? That you know, if if uh, somebody offers you a job in Chicago, I don't know where you are, but like across the country in another city, uh, you know, it, it, it most people will study everything about Chicago and the cost of living and will my salary increase, you know, that's just what you do for your, you know, to make your decisions and immigrants uh, who are wanting to cross the border, make it their job to understand every twist and turn and, uh, you know, turn of the screw on our immigration policy. They listen to everything that every president says uh, to every court, every news about a court decision that affects it. And so, you know, because they're going to spend a fortune, a lifetime fortune, I mean, life-changing $10,000 to uh, Honduran is uh, beyond anything that they could imagine. But they're going to beg, borrow, and steal it if they have to in order to get in because they'll pay that off and then make many multiples over a lifetime of that amount of money by working. What they want to know is, will these policies get me in? And when I can, and, and if they get me in, will I be allowed to stay in long enough without being deported 
to pay all this money back and then just be able to continue going, right? It makes sense. It's perfectly rational. I do it. Perfectly rational. Yeah. Perfectly rational. But, you know, most Americans, I mean, this is complicated stuff. It's unless you're like me and you're paid to do it eight hours a day, you know, nobody's going to, you know, most Americans aren't going to stand around and like try to understand why this is happening. They'll just, I think the administration and, and the political parties count on complexity to cover what they're doing and to get away with narratives that are completely false. You can just throw a lie out there in, in that ether and get away with it in a second. You'll never get checked on it. You'll just get reaffirmed by the media. Whatever you're saying, it's reaffirmed by the media because even the media doesn't understand our policies and the way it works, the machinery, the gears, the way it works, like they're your average uh, Haitian uh, who's uneducated. It's just the way it, it's just the way it works. My job, uh, because I get paid to do this, is to try to explain this, uh, why they're coming. They're, the, yes, their countries are terrible. Uh, yes, they're, they're you know, uh, we, we're better, a better place to live. Our systems work. The cops don't usually shake you down here, uh, that sort of thing. And it's a better place to live. But those issues are are long lived. They don't explain ebbs and flows, retreats, yeah. mass retreats and mass rushes on the border. The only thing that explains mass retreats and mass rushes in a week or month to month or year to year are policies. Is the door open? Is it closed? <laughs> it's really just that simple. Is it open? Is it closed? Am I getting in? Will I get a return on investment for the money that I'm going to spend on these smugglers? Do you That's think that because you've talked to a, a lot of migrants, do you think I, that I, most, I know this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they like literally again, your book reads, it's, it's kind of like an adventure novel, almost in the sense of you know, the amount of interactions that you have with people. But do you think that the, yeah, I saw something on the news that, quite frankly, disturbed me a little bit. It was a Venezuelan man. As we, if anybody that's following politics, Venezuela is a complete disaster. I mean, it, it descended into Marxism and has gotten worse from there. And he crossed in the United States, and he was weeping and sobbing. And I can absolutely empathize with him on that. But what he said was, "I don't know what. Ha- I'm just glad to be here. Thank God I'm here in the United States. I don't know what happened to my own country." That concerned me because if you don't know why the things that occurred in your own country led to its disaster, you're liable to bring some of that here. Do you think that there's, based on your experience talking to a lot of people that are coming across, do they know what they're fleeing or is it simply, you know, a a glowing radiant dollar that is drawing them here? So the answer to that question uh, is actually pretty straightforward. Most of the Venezuelans that are crossing into the U.S. don't know what's going on in their country because they haven't lived there in six, seven, eight years. Nobody's fleeing Venezuela. None of them are fleeing Venezuela. They they left their countries for safe, third, prosperous other countries many years ago. What they're going to tell you when they cross the border is, oh, my God, I'm fleeing my country. That's a lie. And that's a prosecutable felony also. Uh, you can't seek humanitarian protection in the United States uh, by lying on federal papers 
and to federal agents about where you're coming from. Um, I've reported elaborately about uh, the fact that most Venezuelans and Haitians, for that matter, and even Cubans, haven't lived in their home countries in many, many years. They left a long time ago and were prosperous, uh, safe, had asylum in these other countries, had residency, often had children who were born in those countries. So they had citizens of, you know, whatever, Chile or uh, Ecuador, or Argentina, uh, Colombia, et cetera. But the, they saw the door opening. They saw the door opening and they said, huh, we can do better. And they went for it. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all that somebody doesn't know what's going on in Venezuela because they haven't lived there in years. Yeah, it is. It's well, lying. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I was down in 2019. I was down in Colombia, and I was I was actually shocked the number of Venezuelans that you saw in Colombia. Yeah, millions. That, that again, years ago, fled what was what was happening in Venezuela. Doing very well. Doing yeah, very well. in Colombia. At least when I was there in 2019, I think they've had some political changes since then, but a beautiful place and was definitely on an upward trajectory. And not known for uh, politically persecuting Venezuelans. That's Roughly. not a thing. That's not a thing in any of those countries. So what are some of the others, I guess, would have been previously been these safe harbor countries that, that have, where a lot of these people have been living prior to making the trip to the United States? I mean, like a great example is Chile and Brazil. Very few Haitians that, that have entered our country through the border actually came from Haiti. Uh, they've been living for many years in these other countries, working, prosperous, uh, safe, no persecution, all well. Uh, but, you know, like one, one guy I, I met in um, Costa Rica on the way in, I said, well, he was describing the wonders of Chile and the nightlife and the beaches and showing me these you know, great memories on his cell phone. And uh, I said, well, then Chile must have been a lot better than Haiti, right? And he said, oh, yeah, it was a thousand times better. I said, well, why are you leaving uh, Chile then to come to the United States? And he said, because life in America will be a million times better. And that's really what it is. Uh, Chile and Brazil, the uh, Haitians, uh, you know, had a really big step up living in those countries from actual Haiti. Cubans have been living in uh, those countries as well for years and in Mexico, uh, all during the Trump years in uh, all over South America, uh, able to find work definitely better than Cuba. But the the door was open. So they said, I saw the door was open and I came. Hmm. You mentioned you mentioned here that a lot of the things that, that the administration has done are either they're flat out ignoring laws or just breaking laws. We don't live in a monarchy. We don't live in a dictatorship. Um, there are other branches of government. What what power does either the Supreme Court or the legislative branch have to reverse or change some of these policies? I'm guessing that I, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm guessing ICE Border Patrol falls falls under the executive branch. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you know the the short answer or the shorter answer to that really is that the legislative branch because it's split by Lee right now between the parties is is pretty much offline so there 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 won't be a legislative uh, they control the purse strings though they, they do have the purse strings they do but they didn't use them so right. uh, i think the republicans had had purse strings 
on this issue that they didn't they didn't really use it. Uh, but the judiciary has the power to turn the ship. And so there are all there's all kinds of litigation uh, about almost every single thing that the administration has done, the Biden administration. Some of those some of the more important ones are still pending. Uh, but 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 I, I believe the judiciary is going to be the, the ultimate check on the administration's decision to no longer follow federal law or congressional statutes. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, for example, I was telling you about the permits that they're handing out uh, in huge numbers in Mexico and then letting people cross over the bridge. That's they're using a. Uh, a power called parole. They're paroling people in on humanitarian grounds. Well, that's only supposed to be used, it says so, in a, on a case-by-case, -case, very limited number of people per year, you know, maybe three a year or something. Uh, they're using that. They've expanded that to be used uh, for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people and soon to be millions of people not on a case-by-case -case basis as required as it says in the law and so of course there's litigation that is going to be thrown out for sure as soon as as sure as i'm standing here sitting here uh talking to you that will be ruled unconstitutional you cannot do what they're doing with that and and there's lots of other litigation going on too about the way that they are enforcing judicial orders to remove people to deport they no longer deport from the interior, they ended uh, deportations in America uh, on the on inauguration day because uh, those are regarded as uh, inhumane to deport somebody. So the number of deportations has plummeted to you know 80, 90 percent of what it was, even when there are lawful removal orders from a judge on criminals, uh, they won't do it. And so there's litigation saying, hey, you're not doing this, you're you, you're supposed to do this. You have to do it by law. The Congress said you have to do this. All sorts of things. Detention. Uh, they're not using detention. They're not. They're not. Um, I mean, really, they have systematically dismantled our immigration law, and it'll be up to a slow-burning court system to eventually require it, that they follow the law. How is the? How is how are the 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 men and women at Border Patrol, how are they doing right now? I've got, I've got an acquaintance who was former Special Forces guy, Green Beret, that then was Border Patrol after that, and he quit. And he, after, after he saw what happened with Texas, with, the, with apparently the whips off the horses, and anybody that's following the news knows that story. And even Secretary Mayorkas, I guess during some regional congressional testimony, hit back on, it was a congressman, I forget who it was, that said, that that mentioned that these, you know, Border Patrol guys were using whips on these migrants. And, and Mayorkas even said, no, that was not true. That's completely untrue. Oh, wow. That's yeah. completely untrue. But after that, my my friend basically said, you know what, he's like, this, they don't have my back. I'm done. I'm out. I'm, he is, you know, cl close to retirement and said, you know, forget it. I'm, I'm going to go all with my life at this point. How, what are we seeing within Border Patrol, these people that, that that made a career and a living out of trying to protect the sovereignty of this country, where are they at now? I mean, you know, it's, I, I don't have my pull, my finger on on the whole pulse of a 17,000 person uh, agency, but, you know, I do spend a lot of time with Border Patrol guys. 
uh, and women uh, down on the, uh, along the border. And, you know, I, 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 if I were to characterize the feeling down there, it would be humiliation. They feel humiliated uh, that they have to, that they have to stand down, that they have to invite people in, that they have to put them on the buses, that they have to release them. That they, they're, it's kind of like akin to a, a Navy SEAL team that's trained for combat. They train for years and years and years about how to, you know, do war. And then a war comes and they are required to guard the cafeteria in the rear echelon. They don't get to fight. And it's humiliating uh, to have to work directly with uh, cartel smugglers and say, you know, how many do you got today? Uh, I've got 40, 40 of them over there. Okay, we'll bring them over. We'll take them. You know, it's just humiliating uh, and frustrating. And they're uh, very angry, uh, really angry, uh, because nobody has ever ordered them to do these things before. They've never been required to do these things. And then they get in trouble if they do do something. And if they do try to do enforcement, uh, they have to get permission. And most of the time, the permission is no, you can't, you can't do enforcement. Uh, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. Now, what, so, can, what can the states be doing? Because you got the feds, obviously, who are responsible for, for the border. But you've got Texas, you've got New Mexico, Arizona, and California that are, that are covering the southern border as well. One thing that's surprised me, and you're in Texas, so this is probably a great question for you, is Governor Abbott, really from the outside looking, it hasn't done anything. Is, is, is that accurate? I mean, don't, don't the states have some control or authority over, over, over their borders as well? Well, there are two things. Uh, one is that they're, they're, like, for example, the state of Florida enacted a law recently there's all kinds of litigation already of course to just make life difficult for illegally present people all sorts of things like you know you, you employee employers must use e-verify and verify that they're legally present uh most uh, most other states don't do that that's difficult right there if you're going to get uh treatment at a hospital you have to Give up your immigration status. We don't. We never know how much money we're spending, uh, taxpayers and hospitals on uninsured illegal immigrants. Uh, just a whole host of things to make life more difficult for illegally present people. But having said that, uh, that just will make them go to another state, and they are. They actually are leaving Florida to go to another state, which is maybe good for the people that enacted the law in Florida, but the rest of the country is wide open. The ultimate, I guess, question is, do states have the authority to round up immigrants and deport them themselves? And that's still very much a big open legal question. Uh, Carrie Lake, the, the candidate in uh, Arizona who lost, was going to do that. That was part of her campaign. I'm going to round them up and throw them into Mexico. Greg Abbott is if Texas has been has been uh, under constant pressure to do that, but nobody sees, you know, Abbott doesn't see that he's got a clear legal authority to do that, and that I guess it would get gummed up right away. Uh, he fears that his soldiers and troops and and troopers would be arrested for kidnapping, charged for kidnapping, and that sort of thing. 
And a lot of border states don't want to go there. It's just a big, ugly, complicated thing. But unless you can deport, uh, they're still coming. You can't do anything about it. Unless you deport, you can't do anything. And that's the key thing. Declare an invasion and deport them. Well, that's easier said than done. And also, if you're going to do that, you need to have the infrastructure to do it, detention facilities, personnel to man those detention facilities. You're you're going to have families that have special needs and all sorts of things that I, I think it's a lot easier said than done, round them up and throw them back to Mexico. I don't so think- last, the last question for you, what do you think, what's the end game here? Where, where do we go from here? Um, in my opinion, uh, the end game is that a Republican be elected into the White House in 2024 and take office in 2025. Uh, if it's a if it's a, a Republican who wants to close the border, the mass migration and end it, it would take, uh, I think, conservatively about maybe uh, a week. And they could shut the whole thing down in about a week, end it. And then, um, but if a Democrat gets in, then I think we're probably looking at something like the turning the INA, the Immigration and Nationality Act, into the uh, federal marijuana law, which just simply is like, okay, we're not, we're just not going to be doing this anymore. We're going to put the, the INA over with the federal marijuana law, and this will just be a new reality for the country. We're just going to let 10 million people in 20, 30, 50, as, you know, as tens of millions of people into the country. We want that. That's what we're going to do. We didn't get punished for doing it the first four years. That that that's carte blanche permission for us to do it another four years. I think one of the frustrating things for me is again I've got a lot of empathy for people that are coming across, but I don't see any upside for anyone. I don't see upside for the people that are that are crossing the southern border. Some of them probably are going to come here and, and make a little bit more money. That's true, but at what cost to 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 their kids and, and to their own life? And at some point, the country reaches capacity. To be able to handle and deal with these deal with all the people coming in there's a great book actually that that reading your book made me think of for five or ten or twenty years down the road uh up to sinclair is the jungle where which that your protagonist in that book was was part of i guess that massive wave that we had in the early 1900s and when you get here and you find that the streets are not paved with gold because they are not everywhere particularly where a lot of where a lot of the people are landing as we know they're not going to martha's vineyard that can that can lead to some pretty radical things down the road. But I would yeah, thank you again. I, and this is the second time you've joined me. Again, anyone that's that's listening or watching this, you go out and get a copy. You might have different conclusions, but go out and buy a copy of Overrun by Todd Benson. I think this lays out to the best that I have come across really what's happening because it's coming from primarily the mouse of the people that are coming here. They're sharing their motivations and the reasons why they're here. And you back it up with a ton of policy. I mean, the, the Flores provision and all these other things I won't go into, I had no idea about any of that stuff. Just like what I've heard recently about how you know these encounters are down 70%. Well, you're basically doing the opposite of remain in Mexico. You're saying don't remain in Mexico and here's a legal ticket to come in. So you're not counting. Now they're legal. And that's, it's pretty. What's happening. That's what they're doing. It's pretty, it's pretty nuts. Well, Todd, yeah. and I, I will continue to uh, to follow what, what you're coming out with closely. 
And uh, again, thank you so much for carving some time out of your morning to come and speak with me. Great to be here anytime. Thanks. Thanks. Todd, this was fantastic. Brent, you asked a question a little bit ago about how do, you know, folks in the Border Patrol feel. And I think I shared this last time. My father-in-law was Border Patrol for 31 years. You want to talk to a guy who feels like his entire career was just erased in the last couple of years? That's him. He's just like 31 years. And now it's just everything that I worked for, everything I did for all that time is just, just gone by the wayside, right? Because it's just, okay, now it's just an open floodgate. And so he's frustrated. He's 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 mad. We can't say a lot of the words he says on this podcast. Uh, we, I'm sure yeah. we'd get some sort of trouble. But, yeah, he's he's uh, he feels pretty almost much. like a lot of his career was wasted. So They're pretty much all like that. Yeah. It's, it's sad. That's disheartening. So, Todd, again, I'm so glad you you came back uh, for the update. And yeah, uh, Brent, I think you said it best. Reading that book made you really frustrated and aggravated. And <laughs> yeah, uh, hearing this kind of stuff. I mean, hey, everyone no, is self motivated, and it's not it's not uh, it's not blaming the person who wants to come here for a better life because we're all trying to have a better life. Yeah, but but at the same point, when you're incentivizing a lot of behavior that really is hurting a lot of people. I mean, I'm in a border state. I'm here in Arizona. And I got to tell you, in the last two years, there's parts of the city that you don't go now because we never had a massive homeless issue. We got it now, just like a lot of other big cities in the United States do. Mm -hmm. And that's being exasperated because you have people that are now coming in here. They're essentially being dropped. I mean, last time I was, I was down at a, at a shopping center and the median strip, you, you, have, a, you have a woman with uh, a blanket laid out in the median strip in front of a shopping mart with two very young kids. Yeah. You know, and she and she was not she was not from Central South America. She was probably from somewhere. I'm guessing somewhere in Central Asia because she looked Afghani or or some some place in that area just based on her dress. And you know, the 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 type of if you if you take her out of her home and or and out of out of the people that are surrounding her and caring for her, and you and her children, and you're dumping her into this country, in where God knows what's going to happen to her or kids. Yeah. I I just I don't know. I don't know how this works for anybody. And it's, 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 it seems completely insane to me that there's not some basic rules and principles in place for defending and protecting the sovereignty of your country and also the people coming in. Cause this is not help. It's not going to help them in the long run. Right. Well, yeah. and remember, you know, it's not up to them. It's not up to foreign nationals uh, to decide that they're going to get to come in. Exactly. It's up to, it's up to yeah. the people that live here. And there's a legal way for us to evaluate you uh, uh, for uh, membership in our society. Uh, and that's not just the United States. That's every country every in the world. Nobody yeah. does this. This is, this is not just an experiment for America, but it's an experiment for the world to, to watch. Nobody yeah. has ever done this, uh, what they're doing here. Uh, not even Democrats have never done anything like this. As I point out in the book, Yep. Democrats have been not that far from Republicans. They're just a, kind of a everybody says, well, we, you know, we have to control our borders and, you know, can, you know, we can't just let the entire world pour in over the borders because they want to. Right. Exactly. Well, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for the time this morning. Thank you for the podcast, Brent. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listener. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. 
Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.